ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ ఓం నమో భగవతే వాసుదేవాయ You are the spiritual master of great saints and devotees. I am therefore begging you to show the way of perfection for all persons and especially for one who is about to die. Purport. Unless one is perfectly anxious to inquire about the way of perfection, there is no necessity of approaching a spiritual master. A spiritual master is not a kind of decoration for a householder. General generally a fashionable materialist engages a so-called so-called spiritual master without any profit the pseudo spiritual master flatters the so-called disciple and thereby both the master and his ward go to hell without a doubt maharaj prikshit is the right type of disciple because he puts forward question puts forward questions vital to the interest of all men particularly for the dying men The question put forward by Maharaj Parikshit is the basic principle of the complete thesis of Srimad Bhagavatam. Now let us see how intelligently the great master replies. <clears throat> this, as Srila Prabhupada notes in the purport, this question is the uh, basis for the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It, it provides the basis for all the topics of Bhagavatam as we have it now to be spoken. Shukadev Goswami is described here as Yoginam Paramam Gurum, the, the uh, topmost guru of all yogis. And therefore, uh, this uh, Parikshit Maharaj is stating this, that he is the suitable person to inquire from about Sangsiddhi, the supreme perfection. to say the su- supreme perfection in this uh with this in saying the supreme perfection the adjective supreme may seem to be superfluous because if there's if it's perfection then it's perfect and how can how can there be supreme perfection well that is again suggested by the term yoginam paramam gurum that when purikshit maharaj went to the bank of the ganga to fast so many yogis came from all over the universe and parikshit maharaj asked the same thing from all of them what is the purpose of life what is the supreme perfection and someone would say well parikshit maharaj the supreme perfection is to perform sacrifices and go to the heavenly planets someone else might recommend you worship this demigod and then you can go to the planet of the demigod someone else would say you meditate on the impersonal brahman and become merged into that so various yogis or sadhus or rishis who were present there had various concepts of siddhi or perfection and most likely many of them if not most of them were siddhas or perfected Yeah, we have terms karma siddhi karma siddha yoga siddhi yoga siddha karma siddhi one who has attained karma siddhi perfection in karma is a karma siddha mm. and the, the, there are many 
paths given in the Vedic literatures. One who becomes perfect in any of these paths is called a Siddha. And a Siddha becomes powerful. They can do things which other people can't do. However, um, for instance, being a a uh, Suryopasana Siddha, perfect in worshipping the sun god, one can uh, gain powers for healing others, but he cannot free anyone, help anyone, even himself, to become free from death. So although he's perfect, but he's perfect in a process which itself is not perfect. So to be perfect in something which is not perfect is imperfect. It's like multiplying ten raised to the power of ten thousand, which is a very big figure, times zero. If you multiply ten raised to the power of one thousand or ten thousand, which is a huge figure, if you wrote it out it would fill up a few pages. And you multiply that by zero, what's the result? Any mathematicians? It looks very big, but it all comes to nothing. Actually, it is very big. It's, it's not easy to become a siddha in any process. But if it all ends in death, then what is the use? Of course, some of the Vedic processes, they continue even beyond death. But even then, they're not eternal. Even merging into the impersonal Brahman, which is thought to be eternal and the highest perfection isn't. So the supreme perfection is that which is uh, satyam shivam sundaram, that, that which is uh, true and eternal, all auspicious and all beautiful. 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 So any supposed perfection which is not uh, fully in accordance with the uh, absolute reality, accord with, which is not eternal. This word sat means both eternal and real, and good also. So that which is not entirely good and proper, that which is not uh, wholly auspicious in all respects, that means not only for one's own self, but for all others also. What might be good for you might cause harm to someone else. Just like there was a, a war of sorts fought in this country, and certain people thought that by blasting others to pieces, our interest will be served. But the interest of those who were blasted to pieces was not served. So that which is uh, fully auspicious should be auspicious both for oneself and for all others also. And also should be beautiful, charming, pleasing. This is the Vedic language. Satyam Shivam Sundaram. This is the uh, the highest truth, must be Satyam Shivam Sundaram. The highest perfection. So Shukdev Goswami, he is a guru who um, can instruct even Siddhas. That even persons who are perfect in some process and have become extraordinarily accomplished by doing so, still have to learn from Shukhanit Goswami. Purikshit Maharaj's question is uh, apparently quite simple. What should someone do? What should a person do? Especially one who is about to die. 
Sarvata in all respects, all around good. The various things a person preparing for death should do. He should distribute his wealth or make a will. Apologize for any uh, discrepancies or offenses he may have made, knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, give final instructions to those who require to be instructed. Uh, take blessings from those who are suitable to bless him for his future, his, his ongoing journey. Presumably Parikshit Maharaj knew this. He wasn't asking about that. This question is based on the understanding that human life is a crossroads. Urdhvanga chanti sattvastha madhye tishtanti rajasaha chaghanya guna vritti sto adhoga chanti tamasaha who can give the translation of this verse? Anyone? Bhakti Shastri? You have any Bhakti? Any? Anyone Bhakti Shastri? You didn't do that course. I didn't do that course. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I thought that somehow you missed it. Huh? You came too late or what? You didn't? But you were in Salem? I didn't get them. So uh, this means that those who are situated in Sattvagun, the mode of goodness, they go up. Those who are in Rajagun, the mode of passion, they remain in the middle level. And those who are in the abominable mode of ignorance, the word is used, Jaghanya, abominable, they go down. Okay, here's a, here's a task for you all. This Parikshit Maharaj is asking, what should we do? So I'm going to tell you something you can do. You all learn this verse. At least you should learn this verse. There are so many verses. Learn this verse. Urdhvanga chanti sattvasta. It's in the 15th chapter. I can't remember the number of the verse. Of Gita. 15th chapter. Gachanti. They go. Urdhvam means up. Gachanti. They go. Hmm? No. Well, it could be, but in this, in, in they go. Sattva means sattva gun. Staha situated in. Madhye means what? In the middle. Yeah. Madhya means tishtanti. Uh, no, that's utishta. It means to stay, not to get up. They're not going up. They're staying. Rajasaha, those who are in. Jaganya means abominable. Guna, they don't, he doesn't say tamagun, he says the abominable guna. Jaganya guna. Vritti means uh, propensity, outlook, attitude. Staha, again, who are fixed in that. Adho. Adhaha means downwards. Gachanti. What does that mean? There you go. Tamasaha. Those who are overcome by darkness. So please learn this verse and whoever can come and tell it to me, get some prasadam. <laughs> okay. Revati, can you arrange some prasadam? No, for, uh, you give lots because I want them all to come. I have to give them. So I can give. <laughs> So human life is the crossroad. You can go up 
down or stay here, or you can get out of this material world altogether. That means to shoot right through the coverings of the universe. So uh, this is this question or this request is based on this understanding. And Shukadev Goswami is the right person to answer this. Actually, Pariksit Maharaj was already more, he was asking all these sadhus, but he was already more advanced than all of them. Because from his very childhood, he was a great devotee of Krishna. But uh, out of humility, he asked various persons about what is the supreme perfection. But when Shukadev Goswami came, he knew this is the right person to give. He's already a great devotee, but uh, he wanted to learn more and hear more. Parikshit. He wanted to accept a transcendental guru. Now, certainly, uh, he was in contact with various priests or persons who performed brahmanas, who performed various functions. But uh, a priest who performs various functions is not the same as a, a who, who performs various rituals is not on the same level of one as one who gives transcendental knowledge. Srila Prabhupada writes uh, very strongly in this purport, unless one is perfectly anxious to inquire about the way of perfection, there is no necessity of approaching a spiritual master. A spiritual master is not a kind of decoration for a household. Srila Prabhupada is here addressing a theme which uh, his own Gurudev, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswara Thakur, spoke on often. In Vedic culture or Hindu culture, uh, everyone has a guru. But not everyone is very eager to... to uh, attain this supreme perfection. So, uh, to have a guru, if one is not interested in having sp- uh, in attaining spiritual perfection, is, it's hypocritical. It becomes more of a social and religious function rather than a genuine spiritual exchange. Rich landholders, they would uh, maintain so many people. They would have in, uh, an extended household and they'd have a barber, a washerman, and uh, teachers for all the children, all different kinds of servants. And they'd also have a guru, who was uh, they would superficially offer respects to. But he knew that uh, his job was as a professional flatterer, Ali, uh, Ali. sycophant. He's a laskavats. Just... <laughs> Oh, you are so wonderful, you are so pious, we are giving you benedictions. So the, uh, the guru is a fraud, and the disciple is a fraud, and it's all bogus. So uh, Parikshit Maharaj wasn't that kind of disciple. Parikshit, Parikshit. If you say Parikshit, it means the son of Parikshit. Mm. Nor was Shukadev Goswami that kind of guru who simply wanted to flatter others to get some money. For Shukadev Goswami, money would be a, a hindrance. He didn't have any pockets or any bag to put it in. 
he wasn't carrying anything with him physically, so money would just be a burden. Nor had he any interest in that. He was already uh, richer than anyone in the world, with such wealth that uh, mere gold and jewels, uh, that just seemed insignificant. The most wealthy person is wandering around without even a cloth to cover him. He had such wealth. Srila Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakur also said this about his own Gurudev. That uh, Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakur said that he was uh, accustomed to being respected. Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakur himself was accustomed to being respected for his learning and intelligence, for his high moral character, for his aristocracy. But when he came in contact with Gorky Shota's Babaji Maharaj, he understood that Babaji Maharaj didn't care about any of these things. He wasn't in the slightest bit impressed or interested in any of these things. Even the high moral character, which is considered uh, practically religious by religious people. Gorky Shota's Babaji Maharaj, he had, he had no interest in, in this Siddhanta Saraswati. Who is it? Not someone else coming to bother me. What is this? <laughs> And Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakur said that someone who, who considered all these things which were so highly honored by the world to be insignificant, then what did he have? What kind of siddhi, what kind of perfection, what kind of attainment did he have that made all <coughs> these very high qualifications that were so much respected seem totally worthless? So Srila Bhaktisthan Sarsar Thakur described that <clears throat> even though I had also thought I was very well situated and very well qualified, in coming in contact with my Guru Dev, I understood that unless I could get his mercy, there could be no actual benefit for me, no actual auspiciousness for me. So that's quite a different attitude to that of the... Uh, hypocritical disciples approaching the flattering so-called gurus. There's no surrender. There's no spiritual exchange. It's a material exchange. That the uh, materialistic so-called disciple superficially honors the so-called guru, who is uh, content to uh, be flattered and be maintained like Shukracharya. He was Siddha in many ways, but he was relying on the maintenance being provided by Bali Maharaj. So that when Bali Maharaj had the opportunity to attain <coughs> Param Siddhi, the topmost perfection of surrendering everything to Vishnu, Shukracharya protested, Sarvasvam Vishnavedatva Mudham Vatishyate Katam You fool! If you give everything to Vishnu, then how will you maintain yourself? You're not accepting that Vishnu is maintaining everyone. Shukracharya was thinking that if Bali Maharaj isn't able to maintain himself, then how will he be able to maintain me? So he was a Siddha. Shukracharya was a Siddha. By his Brahma Teja, his Brahminical power, he was uh, able to do that which was almost impossible, that he was able to empower Bali Maharaj and the demons to conquer the heavenly planet. But then when Bali Maharaj wanted to go 
further to a, a higher level of cities. No. Go this far and no further. This is the ultimate. So this is the problem with all these various uh, intermediate stages. If one is at an intermediate stage but thinks that it is the topmost stage, then where is the where will where will come the uh, enthusiasm to go further, go higher? The motivation. So therefore, uh, one has to understand clearly what is Siddhanta, the uh, the philosophical understanding of Siddhi. So we may, again, we, we may speak of karma siddhanta, jnana siddhanta, yoga siddhanta. But actual siddhanta, the, the actual meaning of the term siddhi or the actual, is full. The actual meaning of siddhanta is that uh, philosophical understanding which uh, states this clearly. That is called bhakti siddhanta. And in every, in every sphere, in every detail of bhakti, the siddhanta must be perfect. If it's not perfect, then it's not really siddhanta. So something which is professed as siddhanta, but which is not actually so, is called upper siddhanta. That means that which it may appear to be perfect understanding, but which isn't. And, and so in, in every aspect, what is the what is our relationship with Krishna? How to act in that relationship? What is the ultimate perfection of life? Sambandha, Abhideya, Prayojani. In all details, this must be understood properly. Because if it's not understood properly, then um, you won't attain Siddhi. We have to act according to Siddhanta. Our whole uh, concept has to be according to Siddhanta. If it's not so, or if it's a Siddhanta at a lower stage, which means not a... The Siddhanta can either be at a lower stage or it can be completely off the mark. And either way, we don't achieve the, the topmost perfection. Guru is one who is Siddhanta-vit. He understands all, what are the Siddhantas. That, uh, and he establishes this by his... Uh, own behavior, he acts according to that. Achinoti Yashastrani. Hmm? What is that? Achinoti Yashastrani. Uh, Achare. How does that mean? You, know? you don't know the Bhagavad Gita, no, so you don't know that one. Achinoti Yashastrani. Swayam Achrite Yasmat. Acharyas Tenukyatita. One line on the stone. That one who uh, knows what is Shastra, conclusion of Shastra, who teaches that and who demonstrates that in his own behavior, is called an Acharya. It is not an official post. Uh, at the present time, within our Islam, as as an institutional necessity, there uh, there are. Um, guidelines, or there are rules for recognizing who is an Acharya. But at the same time, we should understand that it's not by GBC vote that someone becomes an Acharya. GBC may endorse that this person is 
uh, fit to sit on that seat and act in that post, or, or you know, but that uh, that fitness comes from fitting the shastric criteria and actually uh, understanding and being able to help others understand what is siddhi and what is siddhanta. There's a kind of mythological idea of the the guru who floats around and just blesses everyone like a like a magic wand so uh, certainly the good wishes of devotee are essential for making progress in spiritual life but at the same time there's no substitute for uh, our it has to be done that we have to make endeavor in spiritual life we have to uh, apply our intelligence to God-given intelligence to understand Siddhanta. Siddhanta Balaya Chittena Karaha Alash Eha Hoite Krishna Lage Suridamanash. Do not be lazy in understanding Siddhanta. For by doing so, one's uh, mind becomes strongly attached to Krishna. And then, uh, if we don't take the effort to understand Siddhanta, Siddhanta alashjan anartha tacharena. One who is lazy in the matter of understanding Siddhanta, they cannot give up anarthas. And then uh, if, if one is lazy in giving up anarthas, then he will bring in the opposite anartha and call, what is anartha will call artha, and what is artha will call anartha. They will, they will say that the anartha is actually very good. They will, call, and they will call the anartha artha. The unwanted thing is something wanted. It's valuable. And artha they will call anartha. That which is actually desired they will criticize. No, this is wrong. And in this way, uh, chaos and confusion enters Vaishnav society. Uh, that is inevitable because some people... Yes, it's evident also. <laughs> <laughs> It's inevitable that uh, the highest and the best thing will be taken by uh, low-class people and misused for their own base purposes. Inevitable. Inevitable. It started right at the beginning of the creation with the demons Madhu and Kaitab stealing the Vedas from Lord Brahma, even before the creation. So this attempt to hijack this, the Siddhanta, the highest truth, for one's own base purposes, is, it's nothing new. It's said that prostitution is the oldest profession. <laughs> you don't know that? They don't say that in your language? But from the example of Madhu and Kaitab, it seems that uh, hijacking the Vedas is even older. So better find one representative of Shukadev Goswami. Rather than hundreds and thousands of rishis and munis and loonies. And <laughs> Looney is an English slang which means crazy fellow. Lunatic. Lujaka. Lujaka. It's the same. It's the same. It comes from... from what is that? Latin? Or? It's Latin. The moon. Too much influenced by the moon. <laughs> <laughs>
za mjeseca. Hare Krishna. Any question? Uh, you were speaking about the, uh, the relationship between the guru and disciple who are uh, superficial. And then we have, sometimes we have, uh, <coughs> say, examples that uh, so cases when a hypocrite disciple comes to the bona fide spiritual master. How, Maharaj, how do you, for example, help these, such uh, kind of persons if you have any experience with them? I have example of the uh, sincere disciple and the hypocrite guru. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not> Myself. <laughs> well, Prabhupada gives the example I mean, it's that uh, if the spiritual master is a uh, bona fide representative of, of the parampara and the disciple is sincere and serious to learn, then the exchange of spiritual knowledge goes very nicely. And he gives the example of... Uh, If a man is potent and a woman is fertile, then by their combination, uh, conception will take place. So, uh, the woman may be very fertile, but if the man is not potent, then nothing happens. I mean, no child is produced, and, and vice versa. The man may be potent, but the woman barren. So, that's the general example that's given, that both sides have to be in order. Of course, if anyone approaches a great devotee, even with wrong motives, they are benefited. But if one is actually um, hypocritical, scheming, uh, then with this kind of attitude, that's, it's very difficult to change them. Even then, they may be by the association of a great devotee. But this... Uh, Duplicity that is strongly condemned. Now it's one thing if one is uh, weak but has he has material desires, but is nevertheless approaching with sincerity. That, uh, but if one is deliberately making a show of being a devotee so as to take advantage of others for material benefit, then that is condemned. I, I, we're all hypocritical to some extent, it could be said, because we don't show all our material desires, and it's a good thing we don't. But it's understood that we're all we're trying in bhakti, but at the same time we all have various uh, attachment, material attachments and misconceptions. So to pretend to be on a level that one is not on, that's also another kind of deception. Therefore it's... Uh, Sincere devotee should uh, not pose himself as a siddha, but as a servant, and uh, who is uh, always desiring the mercy of the devotees. Hare Krishna.